Well, it's good to see all of you here today. I mentioned earlier it's a worship together weekend. Here's the cool little bag. If you were a grade school or so person, you should have gotten one of these on the way in. I know, I know. Uh, there's nothing in here to eat, so if you were thinking uh, that. But there is this, um, you know, this is like a study sheet, and it's aimed at, you know, younger type people, it, but it covers a lot of ages because it's got a fill-in-the-blank thing that's similar to what everybody else has. It's got a coloring section and crayons inside and a word search on the back, which some of you I know are going to do as well, just because you do that sort of thing. And who knows, you might color me a picture. For those of you younger people, grade schoolish, who bring me this with enough stuff filled in to fit your age bracket, Meaning, if you can't spell, just draw me a picture. Okay, that's what I mean by that. Um, I've got some stuff up here. It's all sugar stuff. So um, you can discuss it with your parents, but come down there, show me what you did, and we'll take care of you. Just our way of saying welcome. So pay attention along the way, and uh, we'll get all the, all the answers to those fill-ins, I think, given to you. Well, I would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, once more. We have been, over the summer months, working our way through the Ten Commandments, uh, looking at God's heart in all of them, uh, pulling in New Testament texts and broader theology to understand what God had in mind in the first place when he gave us these Ten Commandments. And so today we come to that, the tenth and final one. Uh, Study sheet, of course, as I've mentioned in your bulletin, I know will be a help to you. But I would like to read the text And uh, then we'll get started talking about this 10th commandment. It's a doozy, let me tell you. We're in deep trouble today. Well, fortunately, there's Jesus. So we'll be okay uh, once we get to the gospel. But Exodus 20, I want to remind you that as we have read this text week after week, uh, it is set out in the desert there, Mount Sinai, the latter part of chapter 19. We've looked at that just by reminder a couple of times. My goodness sakes, the mountain and thunder and lightning and smoke and quite a quite a, an impressive moment as God speaks these 10 words. Uh, Exodus 20 then, 1 through 17. Let's hear them all once again. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Wow. And there you have it. Well, the Ten Commandments, I have enjoyed the process this summer of working through these and uh, remembering again that behind each one of these commandments is, is a call to follow Christ, to follow God, the God of the Bible, and not only in avoiding certain things, but in wholehearted pursuit of him. Today, we come to this Tenth Commandment, verse, verse 17. Oh, my goodness. We've just read it once. How do you feel already? Well, I know, I know. Interestingly, as you see on your study sheet, there's some elements of review, of course, and I'll let you look at those. But if you, if you look under the section called today's text, uh, the 10th commandment has as kind of a different flavor to it because it not only prohibits things that at least ostensibly, you look at some of the others, haven't murdered anybody, but of course we unpacked that a bit and saw it a little broader, but we can look at some of those others and say, okay, I've got a half a chance maybe of, of obeying that one. And then you come to the 10th. And suddenly it's not dealing with action so much as, as inner desire. And if the others have not completely left you in the dust, this one does. You shall not covet. And then on it goes. And already I say, oh, woe is me, as Isaiah. Woe is me. You shall not covet. Well, we want to talk about that today. I brought all kinds of, uh, I brought bags of tricks. I got stuff to help us illustrate and rivet some things in our mind. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to the study sheet in just a moment, but I want to visit over here first and let you know I am well acquainted with today's topic. Um, a couple of little stories. I'm going to start with my bag of Doritos. And this takes me... It's not open. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be eating them all morning. Well, I brought this as a reminder to me of, I remember grade school, uh, my grade school year. Some of you remember grade school years. Some of you, it wasn't that long ago. You're still doing them. Others, you don't even remember them anymore. But among the things that I remember in grade school, you know, every, you, you learn different things about yourself and about life and about, you know, school and things. Well, I remember in grade school discovering some things about our family just by going to school and hanging out with other kids. I discovered that we were not a chip family. That is, when my mom packed our lunch, other people got chips. We didn't get chips. Now, you may think that that's small, but when you're in grade school, you, everybody's got their lunchbox open, you look up and down, and it's like, okay, there's the chips, and there's the ho-hos, the, and, and, and in my lunch, it's like pretty much healthy stuff. I, w- I was more from a carrot family. So up and down the table, you'd look and go, yeah, those kids... Those, no kidding. I've never had a Twinkie. This is true. I have never eaten a Twinkie in my life. It started young. Don't, don't, and don't go out and buy me any. I'm doing fine. Thank you. No desire to start now. But I remember noticing that at the same time as I saw other people eating chips, other kids are eating Twinkies. We don't eat Twinkies in our family because my mother told me they weren't good for you. And apparently they're not, I guess. But I learned as a kid, uh, looking up and down the lunchroom table, that I wanted other people's lunch. Was I coveting? Yeah, I think I probably was. As I looked up and down, wondered at times if I was born into the wrong family. I should have been born into a chip-eating family, a Twinkie-eating family. But no, I was in the vegetable, well, okay, healthier-eating family. Uh, Wow. 
my chips. Now, it'll take me a few years later. If you're in grade school and you come to Venture Club, you've met my pet rock. This is my pet rock. Pet rock, I have never named my rock, but it's been in my life for 40 years. It's pretty heavy. Um, I think it's granite. But I, I've had this since I was 14, right, 42 years ago. I found this in a mine up in the Olympic, uh, Cascades, my first backpack trip 42 years ago uh, with a group from Island Lake Camp. And uh, for whatever reason, the counselors were hanging around the campfire and they let us kids wander through the hills. I don't know what they were thinking looking back. You know, my life as a youth guy for 20 years. No, no, no. We're going with you. No, they just let us go. Yeah, come back at, you know, time for dinner. Like, oh, okay. We just left. And up on top of this hill, uh, there's like four or five of us guys, junior high-ish. We climbed some hills and we found a mine. And we went in there, and I found this rock, and I backpacked this sucker out eight miles. Why did I do that? No, it wasn't because I knew it was full of iron pyrite, which it is. No, it's because I looked at that and said, somebody dug like 30 or 40 feet. This is a small mine. We, you know, no canaries were dead. We went in there and looked around. I found the biggest one I could find. and said, I'm carrying that thing home. Maybe someday we're going to saw this thing in half. It's going to have the world's biggest gold nugget. And, and Jay will never have to work again a day in his life. Was I coveting? Or was that ambition? Huh. Wow. Have I got you now? Wow. Coveting? Good, healthy desire for something good? Well, I'll let you think about that. But this is my pet rock. I show all the Venture Club kids. It does tricks. I learned that back in the pet rock days of the, was it the 70s? Okay. Stay. Well, I want to look with you for a moment at some things on your study sheet. And I want to talk about sinful coveting versus godly ambition. And we're going to look again here at Exodus 20 and see the list of things that, the things that are prohibited, this wonderful list. And we're going to talk about this. And I want to, I would like you to be very thoughtful here with me, okay? Because I do not want you to hear me say today that all desire or wanting is bad. Okay? That would not be biblically true. Some people get that idea. Well, I don't want to covet, so I don't want anything. I just have no desires whatsoever. I just don't want anything. I'm just, they think that contentment, which is a good thing, means you don't want anything. Now, I want us to slice and dice here a little bit, because I believe that desire, desire, I mean, good desire was built into your heart by God from the very, very beginning. I think in the Garden of Eden, God created us as humans with a desire, some, a desire for him, a desire for glory, a desire, a desire for good before the fall. I think God created us to desire right things in the right way. But of course, these things get mixed up for us. And so we have a command like don't covet because our desires are not always tamed, are they? And you quickly in your heart say, that's true. And so do I. My desires are not always tamed. 
and yours, I'm sure. Sinful coveting versus godly ambition. And you see, I have a little um, bullet point under each. And um, on this first one, coveting. Now, this isn't, a, I've got quotes around this because it, I borrowed this definition from somebody else. I would never talk like this. To crave, to yearn for, to hanker. Who says hanker anymore? So you can tell someone else wrote that. That's not a J word. To hanker after something that belongs to someone else. Well, there you go. Uh, You're hankering. Wow. All right. Yearn, long for, craze, something that belongs to someone else. An inordinate, uh, out of the box perhaps, ungoverned, selfish, I'm going to say, desire for something. Again, uh, in quotes, so it's a definition I borrowed from somebody else. Now, to to be clear... Uh, coveting can focus on a thing, an object. It could focus on a relationship. It could focus on a role. It could focus on an experience. It's possible to covet an, an actual object or all kinds of other things. And just to help us think about this, I note coveting can involve wanting a right thing, a good thing, can't it? But in the wrong way or at the wrong time, or for the wrong reason. So just because the thing you desire or want or covet isn't sinful in itself does not mean it's okay for you to covet it. You could also use a word lust for, though the term lust tends to be used uh, thinking of sensual type things. It doesn't always mean that in the Bible. Lust and covet, kind of longing for an, uh, an inordinate, ungoverned desire for something. They're in the same family, of course. Coveting. So there's, there's this category, coveting. Now, of course, I brought props for this because there are things that we covet. And I just want to rivet some of these in your mind. And these are things uh, that, that God says, don't covet. Now, before I pull anything out of my basket of tricks here, I want you to remember that whether things are in the bad basket, is my bad basket, or the good basket, largely now depends on what's going on in your, in your heart, doesn't it? But I'm using these only as symbolic and as talking points. Okay? So please don't look at the stuff in the bad basket and go, oh, sinner today. Uh, What's going on in your heart? So I'm going to start with a car. Right? You can covet someone else's wheels. Uh, You could even covet this one. Um, This is a pretty cool one because if you push the top button, the wheels begin to go. And I have a long track at home. And it'll go around it endlessly. So you might covet this right now. Don't. Don't do it. This is mine. So leave my car alone. All right? Wow. Don't covet your neighbor's car. Well, let's see here. I brought a, a, I think this is a volleyball. It's not a soccer ball. This is a volleyball. Ability. I'm going with abilities here. Some of you are probably fairly skilled volleyball players. Others of you, oh, please, be on the other team. Some of you were the ones in grade school, you know, when they chose teams, that horrible way of getting people on teams. Some of you were the first to go. And you don't see any problem with choosing teams. I mean, of course. Others of you know what it's like to be the last one, where people are going, okay, no, you take them. No, 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 you take them. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you this one for this one. And you're the one going, no one wants me. My ability's terrible. I never hit the ball. Well, you could covet somebody else's abilities, couldn't you? In a sinful way, right? 
Uh, God made some of us faster than others, taller than others. I hate to say this, smarter than others. You can work at it, but you know what? We're not all Einsteins. Well, we can covet other people's abilities. Um, yes, yeah, you want this house? No, you can't have it. This is, this is well, yeah, I don't want to say it's my house. <laughs> This house has been in our family for a while. It's pretty cool because if you open up the back, it's got all kinds of little things. And it's got a switch in here. Batter, apparently the batteries are burned out. But when the batteries are good, it'll turn on the porch lights. I know. This has been in the family. I don't even know how long, but a whole bunch of little girls have played with this. Although it's down a person because the head of the lady of the house came off. It's sitting on the counter. Don't know if it'll re-glue. But it's got all kinds of cool stuff. And sometimes it isn't just about toy houses, is it? Sometimes this house can represent, you know, wanting other people's material possessions in such a way that my heart longs in a sinful way. Jealous of. Coveting. And of course, the text says, don't, it doesn't say house, does it? But it says, or anything that is your neighbor's. So let's just subsume that under, under that bad list. Okay, I had to do this as well. Um, some of you will recognize Barbie and Ken. These are not mine either. I, I do not have a Barbie and Ken doll. I had to make some calls this week, or Kathy did, to find me a Barbie and a Ken doll. And this isn't about necessarily... Coveting someone's toys, is it? The text specifically says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It doesn't say husband. Do you think that's included? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Don't covet your neighbor's wife or spouse in any way. Male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Wow. Now, I'm going to put these guys back because I don't want us to only think about them as, you know, the bad list. And, of course, you guys know, as I said earlier, um, these things, like wanting a car, I'm not saying wanting a car is bad. I'm saying coveting your neighbor's car is bad. But look with me again at your study sheet. Ambition. This business of ambition, and uh, these are not terms necessarily that all of our kids will use all the time, coveting and ambition, and parents, it's your chance to help your kids think those things through. Ambition, ambition. Ambition is also a desire, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a wanting, hopefully, I'm saying here, in the best of terms, submitted to the will of God. I'll call it a holy desire, not only because it's wanting like a bigger Bible and things like that, but, but wanting to honor God, wanting to honor God with what I have, with the opportunities and so on that he's given me. Wanting to honor God with the abilities, the resources God has given me. Ambition, desire. It's interesting to me, the wrestling with this is familiar in our world. It was back in 2000 that John Eldridge, a name some of you will recognize from the late 90s, early uh, 2000s. Uh, John Eldridge wrote this book called The Journey of Desire, Searching for the Life We've Only Dreamed Of. It's a very fascinating book. I read it soon after it came out. 
appreciated it very much. He's, he's wanting to wrestle. He wants the reader to wrestle with what's going on in your heart and what you want. And is, is what you want a God-honoring want, or is it mainly a selfish want? And what's the difference, for goodness sakes? And so he deals with a couple of things. I'm going to mention a couple of chapters. Uh, chapter 2, the dilemma of desire. You know, we wrestle with this thing, or we might tell our hearts, you shouldn't want. Have you guys found that effective when you tell your heart not to want something? Is this work for you? Oh, buddy, let me tell you, that's a tough one. It's like saying, don't think of a hot fudge Sunday. Okay, don't, don't. See, I made you. I made you do it just now. A whole bunch of you thought of a hot fudge Sunday. Man, don't think of it. Don't think it doesn't work for me either. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why lives filled with rules sometimes go sideways on us. Did you know that? Too many rules. We focus on the rule. We instantly want to break all of them. If you've raised teenagers, you know that. If you have a whole bunch of house rules, like, you know, 50 or 60 of them, uh, there's a point in a teenager's life when they get up in the morning and say, so little time to break all of them. I better get at it first thing in the morning. Well, a, a, a struggle, a dilemma of desire. And then chapter three, dare we desire? He asked the question, do I dare to desire? Or if, to put it a little differently, do I dare to dream? And you've heard me talk about this off and on other times. Yes, dream. Yes, dream. Good dreams. Godly dreams of what God would do with you, with your life, through your abilities. Dream. During my years as a youth pastor, I said that to teenagers. I cannot tell you how many times. No, dream. Dream, dream. I'm not just saying big. Realistic. Yes, dreams of what God could do with your life wholly given to him. Dream of this. Now, this was 2000. Here's another one. This is Dave Harvey, Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, similar book in the year 2010 called Rescuing Ambition. Guess what he's talking about? The same type of deal. What, what does it mean for me to dream good things, to want good things? And a couple of his chapter titles again. Chapter 2, Ambition Corrupted. Right? How easily our hearts... Can, can start with something good and have it go sideways on us. And before long, it, it, we're wanting something good. We're wanting something right. And we end up, oh, with that want in deep trouble. Ambition corrupted. And then chapter three, ambition converted. Why we need God's help to rescue our ambition and to keep it holy, to keep it sanctified. I appreciate that. I think it's an important distinction to draw between coveting and, and godly ambition, I think of it every week when I read the comics. If you get the Sunday paper or whatever. No, seriously. Uh, this one on the back called, uh, yeah, I know, Zitz. Uh, if you're familiar with this comic strip, it's a struggle. It's very real. Uh, you, you laugh. You go, that's kind of dumb. I, I, leave it alone. It's, it's a mom and a dad and an older teenage or young 20-ish son who's content with a thrashed room, no job, a piece of junk car. He's just content, right? He doesn't covet anything. And mom and dad are going, come on, <laughs> get up, ambition. I didn't say covet, but, but they're drawing a difference, really. They don't use those terms, but that what the, that's what the comic strip is about. Very familiar struggle, I think, to many. So I have on your study sheet that ambition would be then a desire submitted to the will of God, a holy desire, 
And I, I just remind us here, as you turn the page, hunger or thirst, even pain, uh, those are things. Sometimes, sometimes we, we long for things to satisfy a hunger, uh, to avoid pain. Those aren't necessarily bad things. Wanting to avoid pain can keep you in your house when you should get out and do something. That's why I love it when I see kids come in. We just had a conversation about this. They come in with, with Band-Aids. And I say, wow, how cool is that? Man, that's great. It means you weren't afraid to live. You climbed this, the, the tree. You, you fell off the swing. Wow, fantastic. Good job. You weren't afraid. To, 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 you know, back in the day, we did slides on top of concrete landings, didn't we? With no handles and six inches of beauty bark. And if you fell, you went to the hospital. Don't fall. We learned it young. Well, those things, the desire to avoid pain, desire to eat, desire to, to satisfy a thirst, those are not necessarily bad things. They can keep us alive. And I remind you again about thinking about ambition, good ambition. The story of the talents, remember this? It's recorded in one place, at least Matthew 25, where Jesus gives talents. And of course, that was a quantity of money. In, in its term, it doesn't just mean like we think of it as a talent. It was a quantity of money in that day, but it would fit as well with whatever God gives us. And he expects, the point of the story, those who received that quantity of money to do something with it. Do something. So one person gets a certain type of talent. Somebody else gets less. Somebody else gets even less as the story goes. But the, the one holding them accountable says, do something. Do something with what I gave you. Do something good with what I gave you. And so there's an accountability. Now, again, I brought a basket. Then I'm going to say, okay, if indeed these were at least representative of, of, of coveting, and maybe, you know, again, they could be redeemed, but I, I brought some other stuff. That I put this, these things in the category of, of um, maybe, maybe these are good things. And, of course, I brought you one of my prized possessions. A book. This is the this is the <laughs> this is the Norton introduction to literature. <laughs> no, really, this is a cool book. This was a college literature book. We got to read most of it. It's full of like, well, some poetry. I don't know what that's about. Whole bunch of really cool short stories. I just not that's not my deal. But I had to read it anyway. Short stories, plays, all kinds of cool things. What does this represent for me? Knowledge or school. I'm saying to all the kids among us, don't covet your neighbor's best, you know, your, their neighbor's grades. Don't covet the eight, but work hard to get one. Right? There's a difference between coveting someone else's stuff that they've earned and having ambition to earn your own. So you wouldn't want to say to a child going to school, um, just be content with whatever grade you get. Do any of you say that to your children? Well, at the end of the day, you might say, well, be content with doing your best, but they come home with a D minus. You're going to pretty quickly say, okay, a little ambition here would be good. You're going to prop them up. Good, good to have ambition. Um, now, a moment ago, we talked about a, a volleyball as a, okay, I put it that, coveting somebody else's ability, but I, I, I brought a baton. This is like a, a, you know, a track baton. Similar, sports ability, just to remind us, it isn't a sinful thing to say, I want to run faster. I want to jump higher. Now, not coveting somebody else's abilities, but wanting to sharpen what God has given me and use it to the best of my ability. Is that a good thing? Well, it is. It's honoring to God. So I'm using this in a good sense. And then over here, no, really, it's a hard hat. 
This isn't a place. This is, I mean, it's a real one. This was mine. It's actually mine. Used to say Pastor Jay across the top, but I peeled it off because it was looking kind of ugly. And this is, this is mine from back in the day when we were at a church with a building project and they gave everybody on staff their own hard hat so they could wander through the construction site periodically and not violate OSHA rules. So this was my hard hat for a construction project. I didn't believe me. I just wandered through. Uh, that's not my deal. What would this represent then when you think about ambition? Yeah, like, like work and doing your best at work, whatever you do, whether you're working in a hard hat setting or at a desk or you're working with thought or creativity or certain types of labor or driving something or teaching, whatever it is that God's given you to do, gifts and abilities differ among us. It's biblical to do it well and to want to do it well and to, to dare I say, to excel at your work. That's a biblical, biblically driven thing. I didn't say coveting the other person's stuff. I'm wanting to draw a difference here today. I don't want to covet somebody else's achievement or they're making whatever pay grade or whatever. But at the same time, we don't want to say in contrast, I don't want to covet anything. So I'm just going to sit here. Oh, hold on friend. No, you've been given a life an ability an opportunity and to use those things well to the glory of God. That's godly ambition, not coveting. Okay. So if you need a little prod, not out of jealousy, not out of coveting, you need a little prod to jump a little higher and run a little faster. Well, go for the glory of God. I think those are, those are good godly desires and right, right that we would want them. Wow. Now, I want you to think with me about a couple of other areas, and I'm giving myself time under this response category, because I want to spend a few minutes there with some things. You look with me at the next section. It talks about, as with stealing, coveting is bad theology, too. Our sermon on stealing, thou shalt not steal, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned then that stealing is bad theology. Well, I'm drawing a, a correlation, pretty much the same point, and I'm repeating it here under coveting. Coveting is bad theology, too. And I don't mean ambition, coveting. Coveting is ultimately being discontent with what God has given to me. It says to God, what you have given me is not enough. I deserve more. Last week, Pastor Tyler mentioned a story in the Old Testament. He mentioned it under under lying and, and not telling the truth. It's the same story works to remind us that coveting is wrong too. It's the story of Naboth. Remember the story of Naboth? He was this poor guy. Uh, the story's told in 1 Kings 21. He was, I say a poor guy because he had some really lousy neighbors. He just really did. Ahab and Jezebel lived next door. They were like the evil king and evil queen. And poor, poor Naboth has got a vineyard next door. He's just this, just this guy raising grapes and, and producing wine. And, and one day Ahab looks out there and goes, huh, nice, nice vineyard. That would make a great vegetable garden for me. So he wanders over there and says to Naboth, how much for the, for the vineyard? I'd like to turn it into a vegetable garden. Naboth says, it's not for sale. Why would I sell the land of my fathers? And so Ahab, of course, is coveting the property. He goes and pouts. No, he does. It says it. He, he, he lays down in his bed. He's looking all bad and sad. And oh boy, poor me. Jezebel walks Jezebel. Queen Jezebel walks and says, uh, buck up there, buddy. What's your problem? He says, I want the, I'm coveting. Basically, I want the guy's vineyard. He won't sell it to me. Like, oh, awful. She says... You're the king. I'll get you the sorry vineyard. Watch this. So she throws a party, invites Naboth. She sets the whole thing up. And we're going to pretend like there's a party. We're going to invite Naboth and get a couple, it says in the text, a couple worthless guys. 
Isn't that great? So you look around and say, you want to come to a party? Are you worthless? Good, you can come. So they get a couple worthless guys where they can slip them a 20 and tell them just to lie. That's what they meant by worthless. They just they have no problem lying. So they did. They came in and said, this guy right there, David, he cursed God and the king. People went, oh, and took him out and stoned him to death. Jezebel said to her husband, here, you can have the, have the vineyard. Turn it into a vegetable garden. You can now raise your own zucchinis. And God saw. And it's a story of coveting, sinful coveting. It's a story of lying. It's a story of wanting what isn't yours and going and getting it. And, and someone else is hurt in the midst of it. Well, coveting, I'm saying, is bad theology. It's saying what God has given me isn't enough. Of course, you know, Ahab could have gotten anybody else's property. He could, have, he could have figured out a way to make a vegetable garden and grow his own stuff. Coveting is being discontent with God's timing. That's the next little thing there. I'm assuming you guys are filling it all in and kids are getting it all figured out. Coveting is being discontent with God's timing. Like Veruca Salt, remember we showed her video several months ago? We really did. If you weren't here, yeah, you could look it up on YouTube yourself. Look up Veruca Salt, Willy Wonka. She's the one who says, I want it now. And she's going down the garbage chute because she's a bad egg. Uh, that's the idea. It's being content with God's discontent with God's timing. I want it and I want it now. And you guys are, most of you are adults and you would never act like that, would you? Oh, dear. Yeah. Are you vulnerable to that kind of mindset? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I want it. I want it now. Thus saying to God, your timing is off. You missed the cue. You didn't provide me with what I want in the amount that I want, in the color that I want. You didn't provide that for me. There's something wrong with your provision, God. In a sense, that's what we're saying when we live in sinful coveting. Now, I want to go to that response section, if I could. Now, I gave the kids the assignment one and assignment two. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the first uh, several parts. And then you all with kids in the room, you can think about the assignments. I'll talk about those in a minute. But I want to reference these, these texts because they're really an important part here. As we talk about coveting, don't do that. And godly ambition, do that. Okay? Draw the difference between the two. So in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about this, this very thing, this very sermon. You might think he he may have had this 10th commandment on his mind and heart as he wrote what he did. But he says, it's interesting, if you look at the text, he says, I have learned. He says it twice in in those three verses. I have learned. He says, I've learned. I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned how to have a lot, to have more than I need. By the way, is there a discipline to having more than I need? What, what happens often when we have more than we need? Well, we spend it on ourselves. The Apostle Paul is, is, is calling us, I think, to something else. Not just saying, well, let's throw a bigger party for me. After all, I deserve it. It's what our culture would say. If I have more than I need, well, then I need to buy bigger stuff and better stuff. Okay, I've learned, I've learned how to have a lot. I've learned how to abound, he says. And I've learned how to have little. How to be abased. I've learned, I've learned to be content in both. It's very interesting. Huh? I've learned. How do we learn? How do we learn contentment? Well, we usually learn it the hard way, don't we? We learn often with having little, 
to, 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 to say today, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to live with what God has given me. Hopefully we say this and I'm going to be content. There are things I can't change. Interestingly, um, things we can, this is, this is part of the same conversation. I want to go just to this one other spot for a moment because I have a book about it. Um, contentment. There's a fine line with contentment too, isn't there? Contentment, I think an attitude of the heart, um, content with what is content with the things I can't change. Uh, you don't want to be like this teenager saying I'm content with my messy room when you could do something about it. There's a contentment that's a discipline, a spiritual discipline, content with the things that I can't change or I can't change today. Got a book this week. It showed up in the mail. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know if I can really recommend it, but I sure recommend the table of contents, which I have read. Okay. And I'm assuming I'll recommend it because it comes from discovery house, which is the same good people that uh, produce daily bread. So they usually do good stuff. This is a, a 2009 book. My goodness sakes, ancient. Well, it's called Living, Living with Thorns. Huh. Title. I thought, wow, good title. Living with thorns. Instead of just burning them or getting rid of them or overcoming them. And the table of contents, she has part one and part two. The first section, Living with Thorns. I just want you to listen to what she's going to talk about in the book. And hopefully she does a good job. Um, living with despair. Like, well, what about fixing despair? Well, if you've ever lived with depression, which is more Christians than you might think, if you've ever struggled with that, then you know you don't just get up in the morning and say, well, okay, today I won't be depressed. People who've never struggled with that think that. We just get over it. But if you've struggled with depression, you know you just don't get up in the morning, get over it. Extra teaspoon of sugar on the Wheaties will not help it. So how do you walk with God when, when you're struggling? Well, living with loneliness, living with weariness or illness, living, oh boy, chapter five, living with a broken heart. Wow. Living with fear. When God seems silent, chapter eight, when there is no miracle, living with permanent loss. The awareness that something, some hurts will never be healed in this life. Right? She's right. We live in a a fix it world where contentment can only be mine if we fix the circumstances. And the Bible is far more realistic than that. Some things will never be fixed in this world. Part two, entering the pain clinic. And then she begins to talk about what do you do with all of this? And dealing with God, honesty with God, practicing forgiveness, forgiving unforgivable things, taking on the monsters of envy and resentment, et cetera, et cetera. I'm looking forward to reading this book. I I think it's going to be good. Living with thorns. Well, contentment. Paul says then is my point. Philippians four. I'm, I'm learning. I've learned. Have you learned contentment? I think I'm still in school. How about that? Next contentment is not about better circumstances. We have to be careful here. We might think if my circumstances were just a little better, then I'd be content. 
Now, changing what I can change, yes, content with what I can't, learning to rest in what God has given me today. And I reference here 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And that's that little paragraph where Paul has what he calls a thorn in the flesh. It's something he'd like to remove, but he can't. And so he talks to God about it three times. And he says, God, would you take this away? And three times God says, no, I won't. Now, God tells him why. Paul knows why. Uh, He says that thorn in the flesh was given to him to keep him humble. He says, because of the greatness of the privileges God has given me, I could be a very, very proud man. And God gave me this gift, whatever it is. It's a thorn in the flesh that I don't like at all. And I would get rid of it if I could. But it it was a gift from God. See? From a God who loved him. God loved the Apostle Paul. And said, no, if I don't give you this gift of pain, you will be a very proud, arrogant person. You will not be the person I want you to be. So I'm giving you a gift, and it comes wrapped in a very prickly box, and I'm giving it to you, and you're going to keep it. And Paul prayed three times, oh, God, take this away. And God said, no, 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 but I will give you the grace to carry it. My grace is sufficient for you. That's where that great little paragraph comes in second Corinthians 10 think about that writer to the Hebrews says keep your life free from the love of money notice it doesn't say keep your life free from money does it aren't you glad it talks about loving money don't love money now do you have to have money to love it no absolutely not in fact it's easy for people to think that people who love money are the ones who have a lot of it and actually that's not true necessarily you can love money whether you have a lot of it or a little of it In fact, some of the people that I've met along the way who love money the most are those who don't have a lot of it. They're sure, okay, where's the word? Hankering to get more of it, right? They love it. They love what they don't have. They can hardly wait till they get more of it. So you can, you can, and some people I've met who actually have a fair amount of money who don't love it. They don't love it. They use it to the glory of God and God just keeps giving them money because they keep doing the right thing with it. It's amazing. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's where that, that's the context of that. I will never leave you. We often use that little phrase to remind us of the presence of God and it's good. That's true. But in its context, it's part of a bigger thing. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content. God has said, "I'll, I'll be with you always. Okay, good. Now, I'm given two assignments today. Now, please don't misunderstand. I think these two assignments are going to fix all of this for you. Hey, from here on, I do these two assignments. I'll never covet again. Oh, please, dear friend. You, that's not it at all. But I'm thinking, I, I think both of these take us down the right path. And so I'm saying this, assignment number one, fight against coveting. Here's two things. I'm not saying it's the end of it all. Fight against coveting by expressing gratitude. Gratitude, really grateful, grateful to God, grateful to people. I appreciated this last year. Our women to women groups read the book, Choosing Gratitude. Nancy Lee DeMoss, a book I had read some years before when the ladies picked it up. I went, oh, perfect. It's a good book. Those are my wife's little flags. Yeah. Um, But Choosing Gratitude, your journey to joy. Well, I, I believe that practicing, okay, hear me now, the discipline. It is a spiritual discipline. Gratefulness is not biblically. It is not supposed to be just a function of chipper personalities who run around. They're grateful. It's not that biblically gratitude is a spiritual discipline practice between you and your God, where you learn the discipline choosing to be thankful to God and expressing it to him and choosing to be grateful for people and to people. 
It is a spiritual discipline. It's not always accompanied by giddiness and a big grin. It's a discipline of choosing to be grateful instead of choosing to be grouchy. Okay? And you can, that's a discipline for you with Jesus. Assignment number two, fight against coveting by being generous. I think that's good. How can you be extra generous this coming week with your money or your time or your possessions? Is there something you can give away this week that you weren't planning to? I mean, just free from the love of stuff. For kids, that might mean a toy. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's time. You don't have a lot of extra time. You're going to give time. I don't know what that is. That gift you hadn't planned to give, and you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do that. There's nothing better than being generous to fight against coveting money and stuff. Maybe you should give away more stuff instead of making, oh boy, instead of making your kids do it later. Yeah? Think about that. Think about that. What do I have that if I haven't used it in so long, somebody else might, and I just could give it away. Yeah, I could probably sell it for 20 bucks. Do I need the 20 bucks? If you do, maybe you should get the 20 bucks. Maybe you really don't need the 20 bucks. And you could just give that to somebody. Lord, thank you that I'm free to give that. Hadn't thought about it, but sit in my garage. Somebody else could use it. I know who it is. I'm just going to go give it to them. Bless them. Wow, what a cool thing. This morning then, learning contentment in a never satisfied world, we live in a world that always wants more covets more commercials take our hearts there and let me say this as i kind of pull all of my thoughts together here my heart uh, i think it's elise Fitz, fitzpatrick a writer we've referenced other times who calls our hearts idol factories our hearts are idol factories and let me tell you something about my heart as with yours my heart is a i want it factory too How about yours? And what do you do with a heart that wants more? And maybe is discontent with God's timing and what God has given. What do you do with that kind of a heart? You know what you do is you you bring it to Jesus. This is the gospel. It's the gospel. And you say, oh God, I've been trying for a long time to fix this thing, this heart of mine. And I'm not doing very well. I can't. Because my heart always wants more. I, every, I wake up and I'm wanting something that isn't your plan and purpose for my life. Oh, God, if you don't help me with this, I am sunk. Because of Jesus, would you, would you help my heart? Help my want to. Help me to want what honors you. Help me, oh, God, to, to release the strings of things that are not from you. I think you need to pray like this, as I do, too. God, here's my heart. Please, 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 because of Jesus, help my heart. Then tomorrow, I think you need to get up and pray the same thing again. And probably the next day and the next day and the next day. Oh, God, help my heart. Help my want to. Clean it up with the gospel. Help me to love what you love. You don't help me. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's the gospel. I want to pray for us. Would you stand together with me? And then, kids, I want to see you. If you did something with those study sheets that's age-appropriate for you, I want you to come on down and let me, let me look at what you did. But let me pray with us. Father, I thank you for this summer in looking at the Ten Commandments. Every, every one of them, every one of them calls us to you, calls us to 
to, to, to see what you're like as a good and holy God, to see what we're like as broken and sinful people. Every one of these commandments drives us to the cross of Jesus. Every one of them causes, when we look at it, a desperation in us. Lord, I can't fix this. I can't stop this. Woe is me, Isaiah said. I'm a man of unclean lips. Live among a people of unclean lips. I see what you're like, and I see what I'm not. Lord, today, thinking about coveting, we live in a world of coveting, a world that encourages coveting, and, and, then, and then wants to, to prove it and, and buy stuff and spend our time and money in ways that maybe aren't right. Oh, Lord, help us. And it's not always things. Lord, help us. Push us to Jesus continually. Forgive us, O oh God, for wanting things that are not your plan and purpose for our lives or wanting something good at the wrong time in the wrong way. Forgive us, O oh God. Help us. Help our hearts. Thank you today for Jesus. We rejoice in him today. And we pray together in his name. Amen.